everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fighting Media Network. Happy brand new week to you all. A very busy week in WWE. I'm Keela Cash, and as always, I'm with two great guys that have their own insights into all things WWE as we recap a double show that went down on Tuesday and Saturday, respectively, regarding NXT Vengeance Day and the final premium live event before WrestleMania, the Elimination Chamber. But first is my right-hand man. And my co-host, my co-captain, and the advocate of Von Wagner, I present to you, per the usual, Scott Young. Welcome back, Scott. Uh, thank you for having me, Keela. It's always a pleasure uh, to join you and talk about all things WWE. Uh, you know, I, I do just, you know, real quick, Miz on the pre-show, though? Talk about disrespect off top. That almost made me turn the show off. Now, I will say that when I heard the Miz's music, I was surprised, as you were, but then I realized it's what he deserves. He's a pre-show player (laughs) on the premium live event, so it's really fitting for him on this particular evening. I was surprised, too, but hey, it is what it is. And also... In the third chair this week, our special guest co-host from the Fike Media family, Jeremy Finestone, back once again to reunite Team Makeover. Thank you both for having me. What a week to talk about. What a week. Let's do it. Yes. Now, normally, the lead topic is the WWE Premium Live event, but... Things happened this week in WWE with some major AEW ramifications to boot. And the big story that dropped was Tuesday morning. My phone was buzzing and we read the news that Cody and Brandy Rose have departed AEW. They left their positions as EVP's chief branding officer. They left everything. The reality shows on TBS and TNT, their roles as wrestlers, they left everything on the table to go to where exactly? We don't know yet, but when this news broke, to quote Paul Heyman from Friday Night Smackdown a couple of days ago, I felt spiritually orgasmic at this news. This was something that I did not expect whatsoever. We know that Cody was teasing that he was working without a contract legitimately for at least six weeks, but contracts went through the toilet, I suppose, in the last week or so, and he is now free to do whatever he wants to do and free to sign wherever he chooses to, and that might very well be WWE once again. And we've had a lot of stories come out, courtesy of Sports Illustrated and other sources detailing Cody and Brandy's departure from the company. But I want to get to Scott's reaction first regarding your first initial take on the news. And everything else has leaked out since then regarding Cody and Brandy's departure from AEW. And do you see them possibly being WWE bound right before WrestleMania season? Man, that's, uh, it's, it, you know, it's, this is opening up a whole new world of possibilities. And this is something that WWE needs to be very careful about because let's say Cody Rhodes decides to come back to WWE. And, and well, let me first start. My initial reaction was, wow, now things are starting to get interesting. You know, for a while, everyone was just jumping ship to AEW. And, and like they should, they, they want more of an opportunity instead of just sitting on the sidelines. But everybody was going one way. Now we're starting to see some of that flow the other way. And now we're going to see how are they booked when they come back. Cody Rhodes is undoubtedly a bigger star than when he left. I mean, he he is a draw. He turned himself into arguably a 
kind of a, a, a second or third main event for AEW. Anytime he was in a pay-per-view match, it was a highly promoted match. He always made sure he was the center of attention and highly promoted. So for me, I think this is a, a big deal for WWE and they need to just be very careful because other wrestlers from AEW and other big name wrestlers are going to see how this goes. And this is really going to determine I think what other wrestlers come, if, if Cody Rose comes in and is treated like a big deal and treated like a star, I think you'll see other wrestlers join him. One thing I, I think back to when Cody Rhodes was back to when AEW first started and Cody Rhodes was arguably one of the best baby faces in all of wrestling, cutting great promos every week when he was going after Jericho in the AEW title. Um, that promo he cut where he said, I went from undesirable to unfreaking deniable. And I think that's something that he truly believes. And I think he wants to go back to WWE and show everyone like, you didn't want me then, but now you want me now. And and then look at what I am now. So I think this is just a challenge for him to come back and kind of be a top guy here in WWE because it's something he could he never did before he left. And I think that's something he wants to do. I think it's a bucket list type thing. So I'm excited about this. I, I hopefully I hope it happens. Let me not get too excited because that might not happen. But um, I'm I'm excited about the prospect of Cody Rhodes. I do not want Brandy anywhere near WWE. She can stay her tail at home. She can do another reality show. She could join the housewives of wherever they live, but do not come to WWE. But I'll take Cody Rhodes. Wow, that is quite the statement (laughs) saying, Brandy, please stay at the crib during Cody's second run in WWE. My initial reaction was just stunned. I had no idea that would actually come to the point of Cody leaving AEW, a founding father, a centerpiece of the early days of AEW now three years ago. And to see him leave is definitely a big decision by him. And to go back to a place he basically said did not serve him well six years ago. But he's coming back possibly not only as a performer, but a businessman, a guy that has experience in the corporate world of professional wrestling that's reeled and dealed for quite some time now. So he's got that dual experience of being a guy that knows his stuff in the ring, but also knows it from a business standpoint. So it's definitely a dual threat that WWE has to deal with. And as you mentioned, Scott, this is a big test for WWE and that you want to treat Cody as well as possible, if not stupendously to quote the big catchphrase this is WrestleMania because that is going to be a key to say whether or not some other AEW guys want to turn over to WWE in the next couple of years but just stunning to see this move happen from an EVP and OG of AEW that was at the press conference day one a day one player to be the first major piece to leave possibly back to WWE so Jeremy when you first saw the news on Tuesday morning and the fallout since then what were your thoughts then versus now? You know, I think I think you got to have to preface it with the wow. I think it was really interesting that we got these news drips for about three or four weeks about his contract not being uh, renewed or he was still kind of out there and kind of the bracket was open uh, waiting for that to be closed. So y'all kind of knew it was out there. And then I I think I get up way early on Tuesday morning and the Wrestling Observer Radio literally dropped about 15 minutes after or before I get up and so I'm listening on the way to work and there's the lead story at 3.15 in the morning that I'm driving is that well this contract we're, we're going to get ahead of this three hours later the press releases are coming out and you're just trying to absorb this and all of a sudden you're just like 
huh, what happened? Because as, as much as it felt like it came out of nowhere, it really didn't. Because it, it like you're watching a bowl of pasta simmer and then it just boils over and then you, get, you can't put it all back in the pot again. I think you guys both touched on something uh, with the business and the reputational standpoint of bringing Cody into uh, the WWE, if that were to happen, that he is an asset that they're kind of missing right now. Uh, a top level wrestler slash executive slash somebody who understands the bigger picture of Hollywood and being the presentation of a star pro wrestler. It is absolutely a loss for AEW, even though I felt like he was not being used to the best of his ability, either because of his choice or Tony Kong's choice. It remains to be seen. I, I had my drawbacks about his usage over there. There is a possibility he will be an even better asset and a better fit at WWE when he goes over there, if that is the case. I'm, I'm kind of assuming it is, um, even though as of our recording time, that has not been confirmed. So when you think about all these things, you think about there is the gap in the leadership of looking for that next guy who can take over. And does Cody check those boxes as somebody who can understand what working with the sharks inside of WWE and people telling you they have your best interest in mind and maybe they don't and telling you what's good for business is not best for business, not best for you. I think Cody is savvy enough to navigate all that. And he he has an opportunity here far beyond the ring to cement his and his family, family's legacy uh, in the wrestling world more so than maybe he ever has had before in an, in a place where uh, in all honesty, he's been meaning to prove it all his life. Is this the place for him to be right now? Maybe. Yeah. Am I excited to see him there? Maybe. Yeah. Do you think Brandy should be there? No, I think she needs to prove herself elsewhere that her value is of her own outside of, uh, the name that she has, she is on her way to doing so, but there are things that she needs to prove before she is put in a position to succeed uh, where she has before. So I guess that's pretty much where I stand on it. All right. Here's a follow-up question. So now we talk about Cody, the talent, Cody, the businessman, and knowing what he's done by being a part of AEW for the last three or so years, basically taking it to NXT every single week for nearly two years before the switch over to Tuesday nights last year. When you think about that and how the complete dynamic of development has changed and we have contracts due regarding television in a couple of years with NBC Universal in particular, now, do you think possibly, maybe, potentially, Scott, that Cody, with his experience, could perhaps have a seat at the table and maybe someday have a position of power in WWE? Do you think that Vince might have found a prodigy unlike his son Shane and or Paul Levesque? I, I think there is a possibility of that. I, I, I don't see why not. And part of the reason I say that is we got to remember there's a con over there now. And, you know, he, he's making some moves over there. And 
I feel like he kind of he would see kind of what Jeremy talked about too that that kind of crossover appeal you know Cody's been that Kobe Cody's in Hollywood now like he's got TV shows he's got multiple TV shows you know he does the acting thing he's known as Cody Rhodes just as a personality now so I think that's something that is very valuable and, and WWE would find very valuable and Nick Khan would find very valuable um, just because I'm sure that that type of savvy would just just lends itself well the show sucks but he got a tv show like you know what i mean like that's that's the thing that that needs to be brought up the show may not be good but he was able to leverage himself into a tv show so those are things that i think are definitely an asset and just bring more eyes and viewers to the product all right jeremy same question so do you think perhaps potentially maybe possibly cody rhodes could have a seat at the table alongside vince and nick khan when it comes to negotiations maybe a permanent position of power in wwe pick up some stock more so than shane has in the company right now what are your thoughts on that potentially being cody's end game regarding possibly having an, a permanent seat at the table in wwe from a pure corporate standpoint Oh, I think uh, I think Vince has looked at him and has realized he found somebody who's grabbed that proverbial brass ring that he's always telling his talent at one point or another to grab and to seize and to take that opportunity. Look, Vince still probably in some way, shape or form looks at him as one of his original creations and someone that he made, even though Cody might probably dispute that privately, publicly, whatever. You know that Vince has that creation like he made the guy in some way shape or form and then he left and he's bigger than he was than he was in wwe but vince knows that he taught him the things that brought him to the dance kind of thing i think that vince has a predilection to uh elevating people in his world that have defied him and proven him wrong in some way, shape or form. And I think that the the cocktail mixture is complete, that Cody Rhodes can ascend to some level of prodigal son within that company. And if we're talking in three, five, ten years that uh, vice president Cody Rhodes of whatever uh, creative is has input at the latest interview, sure don't don't challenge that for one second that dude that dude is on the track if he wants to be yes he is very savvy that way and that's going to be something to look out for in the next few years besides him being a talent and we all assume he's getting pushed to the moon more so than Cameron Grimes on 2.0 but he's really in a great position to thrive wherever he goes most likely WWE right before WrestleMania scene right before WrestleMania season and what a time to get a bag when we have possibly maybe on another side note Stone Cold possibly returning to the ring for the first time in 19 years and that was the top story Late Monday night until the Cody news blew everything out of the water. So, Jeremy, what are your quick thoughts on Stone Cold possibly coming back at WrestleMania to face Kevin Owens in the battle for Texas? You know, I saw that promo that Kevin Owens had, and it's just like, what is happening here? Like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> just that that shit eating grin that he had, looking directly on the camera, knowing exactly what he was doing, knowing exactly that this match that he has been maybe like written down in his top chest of drawers uh, for all his life might be happening, and that dude was happier than uh, happier than you could even imagine. 
situation. And you know, when I started thinking about it, I was happier too. I'm a little concerned about <laughs> Stone Cold has not, I have not seen Stone Cold and shit, uh, what his physical, what he looks like right now. I am, I am cautiously optimistic that everybody is going to play their part to a T. I really just want to see something similar to The Rock uh, and Eric Rowan from The Last Dallas. I'm really fine with that. If there's more to it, I will consider everything about that to be a bonus. But Stone Cold, Texas, Stunner, Owens, Eat the Pin, everybody goes nuts. I am all for it. Me too. I cannot wait personally for the promos between Stone Cold and Kevin Owens. Those those are going to be great whenever they take place on Monday Night Raw. If this match does come to pass at WrestleMania, if it's all window dressing, if it's all smoke and mirrors, that's fine with me. But I just want Stone Cold to have a moment that includes maybe stepping a moat hole and giving a stunner or two or three to Kevin Owens. I'm fine with that. So, Scott, when you heard the news that Stone Cold Steve Austin, after nearly, after nearly 19 years out of the ring, after vowing never to do it again, could possibly get that bag and have a WrestleMania moment via a match against Kevin Owens. What are your quick thoughts on that? Yeah, I wonder why Kevin Owens resigned with WWE. They said, look, bro, we might be able to get you a match with Stone Cold if you sign right here. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, we can get you this match with Stone Cold. So there you go. Now, I, how can you not be excited? This is great. This is great news. I, I, I'm excited for it. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if you see every legend from Texas come in, hit their finisher on Kevin Owens. Stone Cold finishes it with two middle fingers to him. Stone Cold stunner. One, two, three. That's what I think is going to happen. I don't think we're going to get like a real match. I think we just get a nice hits of the classic WWE wrestlers finishing it off with Stone Cold with a stunner. So I, I hope it happens. I don't. I think it'd be a great thing. Yeah, I need to see. I need to see him come out with a vest. Yes, the knee braces on the boots, the the rattlesnake three sixteen. No t shirt. I I need to see like a stone cold ready to wrestle in in Texas. Like there needs to be a certain presentation about it that is like, yeah, he looks fifty seven, but when Goldberg comes out, he looks like Goldberg. I do not want to see jean shorts. I do not want to see him wearing a t shirt. I do not want to see him wearing a trucker cap. I would like to see him in the traditional ring gear ready to go ready to stop a mud hole in the corner of the ring right his foot in kevin owens belly that place is going to erupt when that glass shatters unbelievable yeah that place unbelievable. will erupt when that glass and someone will cry guaranteed yes. someone will cry There'll be that. There'll be that uh, guy that they go back to from uh, WrestleMania 30 yes. with uh, Undertaker losing. There's going to be that. There's going to be that one picture, and it's going to define WrestleMania for the next five years. I'll cry at the vest. And if it has a chain on, even better. If he's rocking a chain, the vest, the strut, the walk. Like, if he does, like, the side profile walk, he's mean mugging, he flips the bird. If that entrance as Stone Cold, like, 1999 in his prime Stone Cold, I think I'll cry. Because I don't want a t-shirt. I don't want the cap. I want a Stone Cold in the ring presentation for 2022. Maybe get that neck checked out because, you know, m miracles do happen. 
They have occurred medically for Daniel Bryan, for Edge as of late as well, for Christian Cage. All of them have been medically cleared over the last four or five years. So please, by all means, Stone Cold, go to your doctor, check that triple neck fusion surgery. If it's all good, please dress in your prime 99 WrestleMania attire. And that'll make me very, very happy heading into this year's WrestleMania. And if we don't get that, I'll take a center or two and some beer wisers. I'm good. And that is a way to really kick off WrestleMania in Texas. Nights one and or two on Peacock. And speaking of the cock, we've got to talk about the final great segue. I couldn't resist. <laughs> you know, got I could me. not resist. Got me. <laughs> I, was just, I was like, okay. All right. You know, got me. Cause somebody, too much time with Mike Gilbert, apparently, you know, it's irresistible. Cause the cock is truly remarkable. And someone oh. had a moment at the end of this pay-per-view or shall I say premium live event that I'll get to shortly that went viral when the show went off the air. Quite the moment for somebody that won a major championship. I'll get to that shortly, but it is now time to talk about the 2022 Elimination Chamber premium live event going down live from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And I have to make a confession. This is my first Saudi show I've watched in its totality. I am now watching shows out of protest. And every time I try to avoid these damn shows, somebody show me clips, whether it's Goldberg and Undertaker damn near killing each other or Titus O'Neil sliding underneath the ring in that greatest Warrior Rumble. That was a moment. Or the time that Kane and The Undertaker had a shit match against Triple H and Shawn Michaels a couple of years ago. They show me the worst possible clips. And I'm like, why? I don't want to see this show. But starting with last year's Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia, these shows feel like $50 million worthy productions by WWE. It feels like now they put a bit more effort into these shows, and I appreciate that. And we've made progress now more than ever via the presentation of this show, and I like that aspect. Was the show predictable? Yes, but at least we have a destination now heading towards WrestleMania. So, Scott, what are your very quick thoughts on the overall presentation of the latest shoddy, of the latest Saudi show from WWE? I thought the presentation was fantastic. Uh, it felt like a WrestleMania caliber event, uh, just with the staging, the pyro, and just how the crowd reacted to everyone. So, the, uh, as far as the presentation and everything, it was it was fantastic. It was really cool to see just that spectacle they put on in that regard. Yes, Jeremy. So you kind of felt guilty in advance, knowing that I might like this show. Damn it to hell. But do you still feel that way after the fact as we run down the card eventually? This might have been the best goddamn PLE I've seen in the last year, and I'm really frustrated by admitting that. <laughs> I'm super frustrated. Like, they they save all the good stuff for this big event that we're all supposed to just, like, not watch, not participate in, like not feel anything about whatsoever and they put on i watched the pre-show and i saw what they did in that match and i was like okay they're i have a bad feeling that this is going to be a good show and you know like you're you don't want to wish it to be a bad show but you don't want to like cheer on a show in the ksa for reasons. I mean, we can we can we can go down the list, but there there's a lot of conflicting things about that. And when you sit 
and you talk about being a fan of wrestling, there are obvious things that you like, you need to feel a little bit of contrition about. You need to feel like, mm, this is not a great look for a wrestling fan. But yet, like, if you need to stay contemporary, you need to stay on top of it. You have to watch it. So hopefully me watching it is a service to somebody who chose not to watch it and we can go in depth. And I, I choose to look at it like that. Same here. I felt the same way for a very long time and I gave this show a shot and magically we get the most progress ever for the women's division of WWE. So yay, there's progress there. We got a long way to go. And that is really the crux of this show. We made progress. The road to WrestleMania is upon us and we still got some ways to go regarding all the Saudi business. But at least on this day, the show ended under three hours. Why can't we get that in the States for our monthly live events from WWE? But hey, at least I was able to chill out after three o'clock and just say, wow, that was not a bad show by today's standards. As we kick things off with the aforementioned pre-show match featuring one Rey Mysterio versus Scott's favorite wrestler, The Miz. And, you know, I was a little surprised. This match was in the pre-show spot, but then I realized it's The Miz and it's what he deserves. And this match is all about cheating. Dominic Mysterio blatantly at ringside cheating on behalf of his father, rightfully so because Miz is a known cheater and the match was good. Ray was over with the Saudi crowd doing his patented slide onto the floor, hitting that belly drop on the Miz. And Miz, of course, eventually gets on offense with some knee strikes, some kicks and a couple of attempts at the skull crushing finale that falls through a bit. Eventually, Ray does hit a 619 on the Miz. But then as Dominic Mysterio spots the Miz grabbing a steel chair from the outside, the Miz pulls a page out of the Eddie Guerrero playbook. He feigns getting hit by Dominic Mysterio and the referee sees it allegedly and he ejects Dom from the ringside area. And that leads to the Miz going for that skull crushing finale. But Ray counters with a roll up for the win. And post-match, Miz goes backstage to say he's going to call up a global superstar to team up with him to take on the Mysterios, possibly at WrestleMania. And the early rib of the day was that the global superstar was none other than Cody Rhodes. And we thought, like, I know he did not come back for this. So upon further review and more news coming out, it will most likely be Logan Paul in that spot. And I will not forget what WWE tried to do last year at WrestleMania to paint Logan Paul as the babyface. In what universe is he a babyface? He's not. He never will be. And I'm good with that. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on your boy, The Miz, losing, rightfully so, in Saudi Arabia against Rey Mysterio, the legend, the GOAT himself? I uh, I thought it was a good match, man. I, I thought they put on a really good match. I th- I think they have a good chemistry. I've always enjoyed their match. I their matches together. I really enjoyed their you know WWE title match back in the day when Rey Mysterio beat Miz um, on Raw. So that I've always thought they've had good chemistry. I really like. I I think this match shows why the Miz is valuable to WWE. He doesn't do a lot, but what he does, he's able to engage the crowd and get them just invested and ready to explode when the babyface goes on offense, especially somebody like Rey Mysterio, who just has moves out the yin-yang ready to go. So he's a perfect foil for that. Um, I like that he's being more of a smart heel, taking out the numbers game. He's used to having the numbers game, but now he's taking advantage of it, and they're taking advantage of a young Dominic Mysterio. So... 
all of that actually makes sense, you know, and I, so I appreciate that because Miz is a veteran. He should be able to do stuff like that. Um, so I, I like that the story is being told, well, Miz doesn't need to win to be effective in this heel role. Obviously, this end goal has to be uh, WrestleMania tag match. And I'm assuming the Mysterios will go over. I don't, I don't think the Miz and his partner would win, but we'll see about that. But, you know, I, I think the Miz is a perfect foil for Rey Mysterio and the crowd ate all this up. So I, I enjoyed it. All right, Jeremy, what are your quick thoughts on Miz versus Rey Mysterio? You know, I thought it was actually just, a, it, it was, it exceeded my expectations. Uh, I will leave it at that. I, I thought Maurice not being there, they tried too hard to cover for it, but it made sense at the end of the match, which was really my main preemptively frustrating part for me. Uh, Maurice not being there let it so that Dominic Mysterio could kind of run free and, and do his stuff that Miz was, for the most part, able to counteract until the end. The thing that bothered me was that I did not understand why Rey Mysterio gave any crap whatsoever that his kid got ejected. He should be able to beat the Miz, which he then did all on his own, even with his son getting ejected. I just like, who cares? Like your son, your son behaved like a dipshit and got kicked out of the ring. That go, go punish him later. You're, you're in your business right now. Like let's, let's focus on the name of the game. That kind of, that kind of storytelling with Dominic doesn't really do much for me because it makes him seem lesser than uh, being raised equal, which he's not, but they want him to, to feel like that. It's the whole presentation aspect of it. The Logan Paul move on and the forward. Okay, cool. That's fine. It's not a crucial part of WrestleMania. The whole thing gave me a good energy for the rest of the show. Yes. A very fine start to the elimination chamber P-L-E. I got to get used to saying that, WWE. Thanks a lot. As we officially kick things off with the WWE Universal Championship match featuring the champ, the tribal chief, the head of the table, Roman Reigns versus Goldberg. And I would like to call this the Old Yeller Special. This was a very quick match that was efficient, that was intended to serve its purpose. And I was very pleased with the outcome as Scott takes point on this universal title match. I don't think it's any coincidence that, you know, all of Goldberg's best matches um, or at least his most effective matches, uh, you know, his matches with Brock. I think this match was solid here are all the matches that have Paul Heyman involved. Paul Heyman knows how to just mask his weaknesses and, you know, maximize the limited amount of time. Uh, This was a a hard-hitting, powerful event. Roman comes out, nice reaction. It feels like a big deal. I think Roman officially now has the longest entrance in WWE history. I'm sure that song had to have been on repeat and played at least three times. I I had to be at least three times because they played twice before he got to the ring for his second round of pyro. So... I mean, God dang, they spent a lot of money just getting Roman to the ring. Um, So then we get to the ring. Goldberg comes out. And, you know, Jeremy, like you said about the Stone Cold thing, one thing that Goldberg is still able to do when he makes that entrance is still feel like Goldberg. And the crowd treated him like a big deal. They treated him like Goldberg, the killer, Goldberg, the monster. Um, So the crowd helped this match and made it a lot more enjoyable than it probably would have if the crowd wasn't as into it. Um, You know, Goldberg comes in, they, they they go back and forth, he throws him out the ring, 
Roman tries to throw him against the barricade. Goldberg reverses, hits him hit first. We get into a couple counters. Goldberg spears him inside the ring. This is quick and efficient. This is how we mask what Goldberg can't do. He's not asked to do anything except throw some spears, throw a couple knees. So that's what Goldberg does. Roman comes out, hits a Superman punch. He tells him, see what I can do. Goldberg hits another spear. I like how they protect the jackhammer. They protect the spear. There was no pin attempt. Roman hits a big Uranagi. That's a nice touch. Goldberg kicks out. This is a fine match. This is what, I mean, there's not much more you can ask out of Goldberg. The crowd is into it, and Roman's about to get a big win. Counters the jackhammer. We go into the guillotine. I like the old yellow reference. Roman decides to take Goldberg out back. He pulls the shoddy. Bang, bang. We out of here, and we're going home. Um, This is a fine match. I think it's a good start to the show, and... You know, you go in, Roman gets a nice win. Goldberg doesn't look bad at all. And, and hey, what more can you ask for? A very clean and simple match. And Goldberg, I think this might have been his final match under the current deal he has with the WWE. We'll see if he re-ups post-Elimination Chamber. But one bad habit that Goldberg has to break is the fact that he smashes his head on the goddamn door every time he leaves the locker room area for his matches. And you see a trickle of blood on his forehead dripping ever so gently on his shoulder. Like Goldberg, you're 50-something years old. Stop that shit. Please stop concussing yourself. So, Jeremy, what are your quick takes on Roman Reigns versus Goldberg for the Universal Championship? And dare I say, Roman's entrance lasted longer than the match. I always like a good Roman smash match, and uh, that's what this is. There is uh, there is a narrative that they are developing with the Roman and Brock stuff that I will focus on the Brock stuff later. But Roman is able in a lot of his matches to survive the strong barrages of violence against him in the beginning and is able to outlast and wear them down to the point where he's able to just take them apart in a way that most other people aren't able to be decimated by Roman. So the way that he uh, was able to fight Goldberg and then just take him piece by piece apart as Goldberg was exerting more and more will just to take him down. That's a story that we should be paying attention to as we look towards future opponents of Roman Reigns. Yes, very strategic in nature, and I really enjoyed the match for what it was. And if this was Goldberg's last hurrah in WWE, which I doubt because the money's too irresistible, this was a fine way to bid adieu for now. As we segue into the women's Elimination Chamber match for a shot at the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. And this featured Bianca Belair, Dewdrop, Rhea Ripley, Nikki A.S.H., Liv Morgan, and Alexa Bliss. And for the last four or so years, I have tried to endure the ladies coming out in baggy clothes and T-shirts that were two sizes too big. When I saw Bianca Belair come out in a cat suit, I wanted to cry tears of joy. Like, finally, something Something. I know they have to be covered up, but something. At least we have them being at least showcasing their true selves somewhat and having creative designs for their cat suits. So I was very happy about that. Progress is small, but progress nonetheless. Scott takes point on this Elimination Chamber match. 
Yeah, no, no doubt progress. And uh, some of these outfits, I mean, like Nikki Ash's outfit was pretty much the same thing she wears normally. So, you know, there's absolutely something there. Rhea Ripley looked like she was Catwoman from Batman Returns. Uh, all she did needed was the mask and she would she would have pulled that off pretty well. Uh, Bianca Belair, that's something that I would see her wearing just on a normal Raw. So that, there's something there. So I, I do appreciate that. Um, I, I enjoyed the match. I didn't think it was spectacular. I thought it was fine. I, I felt like they could have had a, a six-way match, like a six-pack cha- or scramble match without the chamber, and then we would have got the same thing. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but the match was fine. The booking is just really weird when you think about how they went about this. Rhea Ripley goes like 45 minutes on Raw, looks dominant, looks like a monster. And then here... She has moments, but she doesn't look dominant. She doesn't look like a monster. She just looks like a really good wrestler who's again, is placed a peg below Bianca Belair. And I'm as big a Bianca Belair fan as there is, but I, man, I don't know if this was, I don't know if I would have went to Bianca here because I, and now I wonder what you do with Rhea. I think a, a story you could have told and built off of was Rhea not being able to beat Bianca. Um, and I, I would have probably had either, uh, I would have had, a, I might have had Alexa Bliss win this match based off of the reaction. And I think Becky Lynch is still going to win the title. I don't think they put the belt on Bianca, which is kind of telling right there. Maybe they'll change my mind as we build towards it. But I think Becky Lynch is going to have another, you know, almost year long reign as a champion. So I I think I just would have went in a completely different direction. There were no real memorable moments in this match. Uh, The suplex spot was cool with Rhea and Bianca where they had Nikki Ash and Liv Morgan up and they held them there for a little bit. And, or I'm sorry, Liv Morgan and Alexa Bliss, because I forgot Alexa Bliss's skirt kept falling in the Rhea Ripley's face when she was flexing. And then she threw that back up and threw the flex on, but her face got covered again. She almost lost it, but she pulled her back up. So that was really impressive. Um, And again, we're still trying to get Liv Morgan over as this, plucky baby face let's, let's just say i'm i'm over Liv morgan like i'm i'm over this this experiment that we're trying to do there's no reason dewdrop should be losing to Liv morgan off of one sunset flip powerbomb i'm sorry i'm not with it i'm not here for it i i've liked the presentation of dewdrop so far i think she carries herself really well i love the facial she was given during this match like when nikki ash was asking hey let's team up let's team up dewdrop's like yeah yeah let's do that let's do that Nah, let's not. So little things like that. I, I, I don't like Liv Morgan getting that pinfall victory. And honestly, I don't like Bianca Belair beating Rhea Ripley two times in a row. I, I've said it on this show. They should both be being built up to face each other at WrestleMania. And this is not doing that like this. I, I don't know, man. I, I think there's another story that could have been told. I, I, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't. I, I can't be upset. Bianca won. I just worry that Becky Lynch is still going to win at WrestleMania. I can understand your fear and frustrations about that because it very well could happen. And that really holds another stagnation into the entire Raw Women's division. And Rhea Ripley 
the last week or so has really showed what she can do when she's given a fair shake in terms of getting away from a tag team with Nikki A.S.H., really, which really held her down for a bit. And you can tell the fans are rocking with Rhea a bit during this matchup. They love the double suplex spot. They kind of booed when Bianca hit the KOD on Rhea, on Rhea to pick up the win to move on into the final stages of this Elimination Chamber match. But I don't know what they're going to do at WrestleMania regarding Bianca and Becky Lynch. Do I fear a pushback of Bianca winning everything? I honestly do not know. Fans, to quote Brian Daniels, it can be very fickle sometimes. I honestly cannot say, but we'll see when we get there. But the finish made sense mostly. I enjoyed the chemistry between Bianca and Liv and Bianca and Rhea and Bianca and Alexa down the stretch as well. So I love the framework of the match. My only issue is the fact this was the fastest elimination chamber match in terms of people in the pods. It was not five minute intervals. It was like two fifty. I'm like, wait a minute. It's not five minutes. We're kind of rushing through things. There was rushing spot for spot for spot for spot. I get it. It was a nice spot fest. And I loved elements of the match as well. But ultimately, I understand where WWE is going. It's going to come down to booking and execution, which we'll see in six weeks of WrestleMania. So, Jeremy, what are your takes and thoughts on this Elimination Chamber match heading into WrestleMania with Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship? Man, I was on completely a different... Uh, I feel like I watched a different match. This match totally over-delivered for me. I wasn't sure what to expect, and they they booked it. Everybody played their parts well. I felt like the eliminations kind of happened in an order that made sense. Uh, Nikki getting eliminated, and then... Uh, uh, Dewdrop and Liv Morgan getting eliminated because the last three were Rhea, Alexa, and Bianca Belair. I mean, I was talking with you guys before the Royal Rumble that I always saw Bianca Belair win in this win in this match and then go on and challenging Becky, and that's pretty much what happened. And you know, if we read the tea leaves of what happened, I think that Bianca can win the title from Becky given the way that she lost it, and Becky can be rebuilt over the course of a year to be a viable contender uh, against one other viable. Uh, top talent in the women's division that might be on the other show if you want to read those tea leaves. But for this now, they're doing what they need to do. They're they're trying to elevate Bianca Belair to the next level. And Becky has been working hard to be in a position where if and when Bianca beats Becky Lynch, it will mean a lot. And that is the intention and the goal. And I think they're doing it right. The next six weeks are going to be really, really important. But they have protected Bianca Belair immensely over the last few months since the uh, rematch against Becky Lynch. It looked like a good plan. I was a little surprised that Alexa Bliss was the second to last person to go. But they love their Alexa Bliss there and they're steadily rehabilitating her and her or Rhea, you can flip a coin of who should have been the second one, the last one go. And I'm fine either way. Yeah. I feel the same way as well. And I got to laugh at Alexa bliss being the smartest person, having a swing in her pod. She was very comfortable waiting patiently for a time to get into this matchup. It was a nicely laid out chamber match. It was a bit too fast paced for me, but everybody worked incredibly hard and 
you know, the finish made perfect sense. My only hope is that if Becky drops the title, we immediately go. And I know the fear is WrestleMania backlash. We're not going to immediately go to anything new, at least until Money in the Bank. If not, maybe SummerSlam at this rate by WWE booking. But the money long term is the future pillars of the Raw Women's Division. It's Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair. Book it. Please book this feud to be something big heading to the summer season. Let Becky step to the side a bit away from that championship because it's going to be a bottleneck. If Bianca can't beat her, all you've got left is Rhea at this point. And after that, that's the end of the list. And maybe you got Alexa Bliss perhaps who thinks that's going to happen? I don't think a heel turn or shall I say a title change is possible one way or the other. But I just want this to mean something at WrestleMania. I don't want them to have a match. And then it's an inclusive finish for Becky Lynch winning clean. I just want Bianca to get the belt, call it a day and just move on. Maybe in two months after WrestleMania against Rhea Ripley. But as always, we shall see as we move on to... I think everybody's least favorite match of this show, Charlotte Flair and Serena Deville versus Ronda Rousey and Naomi. And Charlotte Flair has been wearing figure skating cat suits for the last two or three months on WWE television. And everybody on this show is very creative with their gear. Charlotte Flair has a very lovely robe, but a very basic creator wrestler red cat suit and I'm like well she felt like I'm not gonna be here that long I'm gonna do the bare minimum more than she ever by wearing that cat suit on this particular evening as for the match itself we got Ronda Rousey wearing a gi throwing back to her judo days in the Olympics about 13 14 years ago and I have to say the person that carried this entire match was Naomi Ronda was getting beat down by sewing and Charlotte in the corner throughout this matchup she had moments here and there that were impressive but this was Naomi carrying the weight for three women doing her job in Zuguri's planches on the outside whooping ass accordingly doing what she needed to do to provide the motion the action of this match to keep it going the crowd was into it as well eventually this match ends when Sonya and Ronda are in the ring together and Ronda hits a one arm Piper's pit Samoan drop. She locks in an arm bar. Charlotte does not give a solitary fuck about this finish. She lets it happen. Ronda and Naomi wins and that sets up Naomi versus Sonya possibly at WrestleMania once again. And we know that probably the night one main event of WrestleMania is going to be Charlotte Flair versus Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championship. This will serve its purpose for what it was a nice showcase for Naomi Everybody else, it was just kind of there for me. So, Scott, what are your takes on this tag team match from the SmackDown side of things? Oh, boy. Um, I, uh, you know... Naomi, uh, Naomi more than carried her, her weight. She did She did a really good job. She's, she's on a roll here. This is two performances in a row where she's, she's done really well. So there's that. Um, I, I'm looking forward to Sonya Deville getting back in the ring and just being more of a singles wrestler. I hope this puts an end to her in the authority role. Um, I don't know. I think Charlotte just, um, I think she rolled out of bed and just forgot her gear and just came out to the ring. Cause that's, that's what it looked like she had on was her pajamas. Um, so there's that. And then Ronda Rousey, she just came from Taekwondo class with a street fighter gi. Um, I don't know what that was all about. Where's her gear? What's, what's going on with that? I, I, I will, you know, I, I didn't like this match at all. I almost skipped it. 
I I'm over Naomi and Sonya Deville. This feud is tiresome. You know, Naomi already got her reparations. Now I'm worried that Sonya Deville is somehow going to get reparations this month for some reason. I, and, and that's just, that's just backwards. So I, I'm worried a, a lot of things are just going to go wrong for Naomi uh, for the rest of this month. And there's still, there's still what, 10 more days left in this month. So uh, there's a lot of time for stuff to go wrong for Naomi. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm worried about her for the rest of the month. My concern is now on high as well, knowing that we have roughly eight to nine days left of this month and knowing that the reparations came early for Naomi. I don't know if they're going to last too much longer as it's a rarity for a babyface to have not one good week, but two against the heels. But you know what? The match was there. It served a purpose. I really hope that Flair and Rousey delivered WrestleMania because right now, Based on their interactions thus far, I don't sense that 2018 magic. We'll see as we're six weeks away from the show and what promos they can go back and forth on heading into WrestleMania. So, Jeremy, what are your quick take thoughts on this tag team match involving Flair, DeVille versus Rousey and Naomi? Uh, Just three points that I'll cover real quick. Uh, Rousey was wearing what she wore at the 2008 Olympic Games and seeing if you had to wear full body clothing, it made sense. Maybe if she had worn the full black outfit that she uh, that she has going on normally right now that just says Rousey, that would have worked too. But I got it. Visual. It was cool. Uh, I do think that uh, Naomi in the last two weeks has guaranteed herself a job uh, for a good long time in the WWE. She, uh, her value has really become clear as someone that can keep the quality of the matches that she is in as a general uh, at a high standard. And finally, with the layout of the match, I almost wish that instead of doing one arm tied behind Ronda Rousey's back, that they had somehow done some kind of three on two match instead where it was Ronda and Naomi against uh, Charlotte, Sonya, and somebody else. I think that would have highlighted the odds and the advantage that of having Ronda and Naomi on a team together. And it wouldn't have made the other side look so weak because the one-arm thing just... It, it, it seemed like a good idea in concept, but in execution, I, it just it fizzled like a slow leaking balloon. Yeah, a standard tag team match would have been much better in this setting. But, you know, it served its purpose. At the end of the day, it was a fine match to forward two feuds heading into WrestleMania season. And I can't complain about that. I was hoping the match quality is a lot better heading into WrestleMania in six weeks' time. As we transition to Drew McIntyre versus Matt Capadamos in a Falls Count Anywhere match. And my God, this match will be best remembered for the Alabama slam from hell as Matt Cap took it to the head by tucking his chin. And my God, the bump he took was absolutely horrifying. And I screamed upon every replay that WWE had to show in slow motion. Why must you torture me with the replay WWE? But what a crazy match just turned out to be. And shout out to Happy Corbin for pulling his guy out of the ring to check on him. He was the true concussion protocol of this show. So, Scott, what are your takes and thoughts on this Falls Count Anywhere match involving McIntyre and Matt Cat Moss? I mean, man, that, that spot was, it, it was something. When he hit, I, I mean, 
I was shocked that he just popped up and I don't know if it's adrenaline. Like I, I wonder how he feels now. You know, hours later, the adrenaline's gone, he's laid down. He, you know, I, I do wonder how he feels. Outside of that, you know, outside of that scare, and, and like you said, Akilah, uh, great call there on Baron Corbin pulling him out, and you could definitely tell he checked on him, and he ran around the ring a little bit to give him a little time. But um, I, I do want to say that they, Madcap is is really good. Like he's a pretty good wrestler, and I don't know if that's you know maybe Drew, if that's just Drew McIntyre just working magic with you know if they just have great chemistry, but. Madcap and Drew have put on two really good matches. Nobody cares about them, but the matches are good, and Madcap is more than holding his own. He's got a great look. Let's lose the suspenders. Let that man flex his pecs, dude. He's got a great look to him. And get rid of the 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 shorts and the 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 church socks with the with the flip with you know with the the Sperry's and whatnot. This guy's got a great look. I have no idea why they got this man dressed like this. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. But the match itself was fine. Um, you know, the Alabama slam spot, that was kind of scary. Uh, Claymore, the sword spot. Uh, you know, hey, I, Corbin <laughs> better be careful waving that sword around. Then he, so he's throwing Claymores with the sword. I, You know, I, if I'm Corbin, I'm like, look, man, I ain't with that spot. You can, you can swing your sword all you want, but I am not coming nowhere near you with that sword. So I'm like, you almost cut my head off. Yeah, I ain't with that. It was a cool-looking visual, but I do not need to see... You know, Drew McIntyre actually dropped that sword and, and have a scar on his chest from whatever Annabella, whatever his sword's name. Uh, we don't need to see that. So he can leave King Arthur's sword in his stone next time he comes out to the ring. But the match itself was really good. Enjoyed it. Um, I just hope Madcap's okay. Yes, I hope he takes at least five MRIs, check on the head and neck area to make sure he's cleared. And the fact he got back up, took more bumps over the announce table, suplexes on the floor, a superplex off the top rope, a future shock DDT at a Claymore. This dude took four more head bumps in a span of five fucking minutes. And I admire him, but I hope he's really okay because that was a horrifying spot. And as you mentioned, Scott, this guy has a great physique at traps, abs for days. He looks great. Just ditch the dumbass gimmick of being a bad jokester. This guy is really good. And Drew McIntyre, always works his ass off for guys he sees value in and madcap fits the bill if you just drop the bullshit this guy can really be a top tier hoss on smackdown he's got charisma he's got the talent and the look to get over let him be himself versus a madcap hatter that does not make me laugh ever but for what it was bump aside this was not bad at all. So, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on McIntyre versus Madcap had a Moss and a Falls Count Anywhere match? Keela, how dare you? What? How what? dare you? What I do? Madcap Moss and his jokes are tremendous. Lies. Lies. Scott. Lies. <laughs> the cell by Drew McIntyre where he paused and then he laughed. I too paused and then I laughed and then I laughed hard and I was like, God damn it, Madcap Moss. They're terrible jokes, but you sell them so, so well. So well. Uh, Madcap Moss, Scott, you're right. He is, provided he can survive in the ring, he has a bright future in the ring. Uh, <laughs> he, looks yeah. uh, he, he looks great. He looks great. They... They let him go and they brought him back and they found a, a role for him that seems like it has legs in the future that he may 
He may have an opportunity to see some brass rings in his future. He may not. But when you look like that and you're able to talk like that and you're able to, I don't know, be in the ring to some extent, there are people who have performed worse in the ring and have made longer careers in WWE. So I I applaud the fact that I get to see more of him in the future, hopefully. And I am just thankful that hopefully he is not hurt too bad after that god awful injury. I just wanted crossed. to. Oh, I just wanted to say real quick. Can I just point out that since this was a no DQ falls count anywhere match, can we just you know point out real quick that Baron Corbin has to be one of the dumbest partners um, in history because he could have just smacked him over the chair one hundred times and let Mad Cat pin him and it would have been over, or he could have just sliced his leg with the sword. So I, I don't know what Baron Corbin was doing out there if he wasn't going to help him. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just saying, man, Like, what was he doing there? I applauded the fact that they had a sheath that would make it very difficult to pull the sword out from the bottom and you'd have to grab it from the top. And when you mentioned the claymore and the sword in his hand at the same time, there was a cringe moment. I hope they practiced that ahead of time. (laughs) But there were there were some logic gaps in that in that match that I was perfectly willing to overlook because I was willing to enjoy this show. You were just worried about that. that. (laughs) I was. (laughs) Now I will say the visual, the moment that Drew flashed a sword at at Happy Corbin, his life flashed before his eyes and the speed, (laughs) the speed he ran with the nope was great. It was great. Now I am not condoning kayfabe murder and Drew McIntyre is really all about the kayfabe murder using that sword as a weapon to possibly decapitate Happy Corbin. Drew McIntyre no boo boo. No, 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 no. We don't do that. Only Randy Orton is allowed to commit kayfabe murder via burning people alive. I just want to state that for the record. That You know, you could do an unsanctioned match where he could stab him with the sword and he would get off scot free. (laughs) There you go. There's a madcap coming for you. Uh, there you go. I, I could, you know, Drew Mac. I could definitely see Drew McIntyre being in the reboot of Highlander. <laughs> it's possible, hundred percent. Yeah, you know, he he could definitely pull off a Highlander role. Now, if we were in the pandemic times of 2020, that would be quite the cinematic match at WrestleMania to see possibly Corbin get kayfabe stabbed with the sword and say he didn't really die. <laughs> Guys, it's a work. It didn't happen. Turned into a zombie, guys. He turned into a, <laughs> a zombie. zombie. Exactly. See, we need a Thunderdome with situations like this for them to get away with this kind of shit. But you know what? Just wait. <laughs> Just wait for the next Netflix check to come on through and then stab him with the sword. Oh, that's a good idea. The Highland, Highlander, the Netflix reboot where Corbin can die in kayfabe. That's, that's great. I love that idea. Let's there petition that. Netflix, a 10 episode series that will last longer than the big, big show on Netflix. But I digress. Mm. Uh, you so know, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I watched I watched two episodes and I gave up on life. Almost. It was that bad. That was Disney light bad. But I'm sorry, big womp, show. Womp. I'm sorry. It was bad. 
really, really bad. And I had to throw that shade because it was necessary. As we segue to Becky Lynch versus Lita for the Raw Women's Championship. And was this match perfect? No. The closing minutes were really strong. And the ending of the match and the reception that Lita got was 16 years in the making. Because I keep going back to how she originally departed WWE 16 years ago, getting slut-shamed out the door, getting disrespected, just getting dissed by the fan base, by WWE itself. Because at the time, they were assholes creatively. But she comes back, has this match against Becky Lynch, an idol that Becky looked up to since the beginning of her career. And to have the match she had after 16 years out of the ring, outside of a couple of tag team matches and some Warrior Rumble appearances, I thought Lita did a remarkable job and her emotion and the young girls coming up, coming up towards her in the barricade after she lost to celebrate like you did that, Lita. That was great. And now I maybe want more at WrestleMania, one more match or two. I really enjoyed it for what this match was. So, Jeremy, what are your quick takes on Becky Lynch versus Lita for the Raw Women's Championship? You know, uh, the more I thought about this match in hindsight, the more the appreciation that I had for this match. Uh, it was designed so that Lita had the flurry early that Becky needed to withstand because Lita didn't have the endurance to go longer in this match. And the longer that she went, the more mistakes that she made. Uh, that's a sound plan for a championship match, especially when you have a veteran that uh, is kayfabe unkayfabe rusty in the ring uh the thing that i didn't like about this match more than anything else was becky lynch's overacting uh in her near falls, in her fear, in her anxiety that she maybe could or couldn't beat Lita. I felt like she is given a bit of rain to go overact a bit because she's such a big star. Whereas if anyone else was in her position to perform or pantomime the way that she did, they might be criticized a little bit more. But with that said, the rest of it, it was a great match. It The way that Becky won is in which that she she capitalized on a mistake and then she got the heck out of there knowing that her troubles are not nearly over. She's got another person waiting for WrestleMania. It was a great way to just uh, underscore the ever-building challenges that Becky Lynch has to work her title reign. A good match, a well-put-together match, something that I can say I liked. Me too. And for like the last time in a couple of weeks, the heels such as Becky Lynch and MJF and AEW have shown a heart whispering to their opponents. Thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. You'll never hear me say this shit live on a mic, but I love the nod of respect <laughs> to their heroes because that is legit Becky's hero as a youngster. That's what she looked up to. And MJF loves CM Punk's for so them for so for so for them to have these moments against their idols and to beat them cleanly. It means something to them in a lot of ways. And I like that little insight into what they really say to each other without really knowing what they're saying, because, you know, it's none of our business. But you do get that sense of mutual respect once the match is over. And I was really impressed by Lita. And I want to see Lita out there once again, possibly at a WrestleMania. I get to my dream opponent shortly. But Scott, what are your thoughts on this Raw Women's Championship match as Becky now moves on officially to face Bianca Belair for the title at Mania in six weeks? 
good match. Um, I thought Lita more than held her own. Uh, Becky Lynch, I, who I've been very critical of in the ring, I thought she looked pretty good, she, uh, especially considering she had to carry this match. There were some clunky moments. Uh, the the stratisfaction spot was a little clunky. Getting to it, and, and even the 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 rip the the pull off the top was a little clunky, but. The match was good. I, I enjoyed it. Lita was my favorite wrestler growing up as a kid. So uh, this was when her music hit, I got real excited. It brought back a lot of the feels, a lot of nostalgia. Um, so I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, this was the first time Becky Lynch actually felt like a heel. Like I felt like I was truly rooting against her for the baby face because the baby face is a good guy and someone I want to root for, you know, not just because, you know, it's Bianca Belair and I want to see her succeed, you know, completely different feel. This one actually had a baby face heel feel, which is something that I feel like Becky Lynch's matches have kind of missed. Uh, the crowd took a while to get into it, but once they did this, ad- that added to the match and the crowd did a lot for this card. I really feel like, like they really elevated a lot. Like this match, I, don't think would be as good if the crowd didn't get into it towards the end as they did. Um, the ovation at the end for Lita was really nice. Lita coming back into the ring, getting that applause. Keely, that you bring up a great point about how she exited the first time. Uh, you could tell this meant a lot to her to get this type of adulation this time. And she deserves it. She is a pioneer. She is a trailblazer for the women's division. Um, first Raw main event, you know, won the Raw title. It's, that's a big deal for women. So, um, um, yeah, and really enjoyed this match. And uh, I, I don't think you could have asked for much more out of Lita. Yeah, I got emotional after the match was over because she was getting emotional and the crowd was like chanting for Lita, thanking her. And that just was the cherry on top. Like, holy shit, like after 16 years, you get the final, final farewell in terms of I did that. And she is a legend. She is such a trailblazer from well over 20 years ago. How she inspired so many people. It's like I loved her growing up as a fan. She was like one of the few divas I rock with besides Jazz and Trish and Victoria and Ivory and Jacqueline and Gail at the time, they were so great. And Mickey in the mid 2000s and Beth, they really blazed a trail. So I love the fact that in 2022, when you did not have that greatest farewell, when you retired because you didn't get the TV time that you deserved, or you didn't get the booking that felt right to you, now you get the proper send off and you pass the baton from one legend to the next. You give it back to the next generation. And I know somewhere, Somewhere, somewhere in the United States of America, Bailey is working on that knee saying, I can have a match against Lita at WrestleMania. Let me get this knee together. I got one month ago. I want a match. And if we can make it happen, let's get maybe Bailey and Sasha working together against Trish and Lita. That would be a kick-ass tag team match at WrestleMania. And that's one of the allures of what WrestleMania can be about. The showcase of the immortals giving back to legends and therefore the legends giving back to the next generation. You know the legends won't win most likely, but it's all about those WrestleMania moments and dream matches when you cannot be a part of major title matches at WrestleMania. So I really hope that Lita has more to offer besides this match. And if not, this was a great send off the reception was everything I love the standing O from the announcers as well and her really being touched by the people and that's why we love this the people give you that love that you didn't get all those years ago and that pushes matches like this over the top in terms of emotion and the weight of it all and speaking of emotions match number seven on this card the Usos versus Viking Raiders 
Last week, I expressed that the Viking Raiders in back to back weeks were booked like a bunch of bitches on this show. And last night at the Elimination Chamber premium live event, their match against the Usos never even got out of the gate because the Usos jumped Eric and Ivar from behind, beat their asses and walked away. We did not have a SmackDown championship match. Why should I, as a paying customer and a fan, give a solitary fuck about a rematch if they've been booked like shit this entire time? And I'm guessing that Roman told the Usos, listen, I'm at the airport, pause on the jet, I'm on the jet, get your asses here, we're leaving first, hurry up, we gotta go. But I just thought to myself, they flew all the way to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia for that. Natalia did more flying to Jeddah than what they did here at the Elimination Chamber. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on this steaming pile of booking bullshit? Um, who cares, man? Like, what in the world? What are we doing? Why? It's, I mean, it's cool for Eric and Ivar, I guess. They got to fly out there. And the Usos, they got to fly out there and, and not even have a match and get paid really well. So I guess that's cool. But God dang, like, how you come back from this? You can't put them over. You can't have the. You can't have them beat the Usos now. Like you can't do that. So, what do you do with them now? Now we just have the match and have the Usos run through them. So this is just going to be a match on SmackDown. Even though I could see the the Viking Raiders and, and Brock Lesnar as a little three man group, they seem like they would probably get along and have turkey legs together. Um, so I could see that. I could definitely see them moose hunting. Or and uh, and and trying to teach Sami Zayn how to moose hunt, so that that's a nice ride along that I would like to be a part of. But I I, I just don't care, and I don't think anyone else should care. Uh, I think the uh, I think the Viking Raiders are are done as far as their importance in WWE. I, I just you you don't come back from this. They almost had they they almost had their helmets taken again, and I know they can't afford to be buying all these helmets. Listen, when they got jacked of their helmets last week, I was done then. They were attacked during an interview and got robbed of their helmets and got beat up with their helmets. Like, for that reason alone, I'm done with them as a tag team. And this championship feud does absolutely nothing for me. Have the match on SmackDown. Have the match at WrestleMania on the pre-pre-show at this point, which means off my goddamn screen. I just don't, I don't care. I do not care about this feud because WWE doesn't care. So why should I? So Jeremy, what do you think about this non-match, this waste of time, this waste of airfare and gas for these two tag teams outside of Roman? Cause he had the jet waiting at the airport. Did Either one of you see anyone on social media express any amount of disappointment that this match didn't happen <laughs> beyond, <laughs> beyond, I don't know, just the bubble. Uh, I don't, I really didn't. The, I looked at the clock and I was like, this, there's no way this show is going to be done by noon, uh, my time, which was like, eh, three hours is what they're shooting for. 
I and then I saw that and I was like, the show will be done by noon my time. <laughs> well played, WWE. I guess the plan was to eventually have it on SmackDown. Okay, fine. Whatever. I didn't care about the match. I didn't particularly feel like the Viking Raiders were going to somehow win the titles off of the Usos after they've held it for nine months right before their WrestleMania title defense. Didn't really seem like that was in the formula, but you know, could have happened. But it didn't. I I was looking at the rundown and I realized, oh, yeah, there, there's no write-up for this match that she's about to talk about because there was no match. That's why I'm not talking about the next match yet. <laughs> and that was the most confusion I had about the whole thing. It It is disrespectful in a little bit to say that, like, I don't care that they didn't have the match. But at the same time, I'm not the one booking these individuals to look this way. I'm not the one putting this presentation out there. And if it were me, I would never create this scenario in the first place but i'm not running the company and sometimes these decisions don't make any sense to me yeah this was bad and the fact that you didn't care it's it really exemplifies why it sucks because if they don't care we shouldn't care and therefore let's move on to the main event of this show the <laughs> hey, hey they give us no reason to care so i'm just moving on moving on to the I main about this one. Oh, we cared about this one this one Listen, I looked at my clock. It was 12, not 12. I would say 2.12 Eastern. And I'm like, they're for sure getting done at three o'clock because they were speeding through this show to the men's elimination chamber match for the WWE championship featuring Bobby Lashley versus AJ Styles versus Riddle versus Austin Theory versus Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar, the 2022 men's Royal Rumble winner. And this match was a sprint. And we got some real life information to reveal regarding Bobby Lashley and that he did not compete in this match. He was taken out early due to a worked bump in the pod and come to find out he suffered a severe shoulder injury at the Warrior Rumble, taking all of those German suplexes courtesy of Brock Lesnar. The landing was pretty rough on a couple of occasions. He has a bad shoulder. He would not be a part of WrestleMania. That's why he was overly protected in this match by not even getting in it to be removed due to, for the first time in WWE history on a show, they used concussion protocols as a storyline to explain Bobby Lashley not being a part of the Elimination Chamber match down the stretch. But... Jeremy, dive in into this main event match with huge WrestleMania implications. So this was a match in which Brock Lesnar was designed to be Godzilla and he ran roughshod over everyone and everything when he finally had his opportunity and chose to do so. We had the match with Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, Austin Theory, Riddle, AJ Styles, and Seth Rollins. Austin Theory and Seth Rollins started off this match, and in a lot of ways, this match was was designed to highlight Austin Theory's abilities in the ring, as he got a significant amount of time with Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar both. Uh, Whether that was for his benefit or somebody else's benefit, I'm not sure, but they did put a lot of work into giving Austin Theory a lot of uh, a lot of time with other talent in this match. So in the match, we had Austin Theory and Seth Rollins, and they're going around the ring, and they do a buckle bomb into the plexiglass and take out Bobby Lashley. And it looks innocuous at first, and then a few minutes later, you see a gaggle of medical officials all around a thing. You don't know for sure if maybe plexiglass 
hit his leg or something and wasn't supposed to, but it's off to the side. And we're continuing with the sprint. We then get Riddle to come in after that. He's doing his uh, flurry of offense, really reminding people of his uh, team with RK Bro, Randy Orton, all, all the signature stuff right there. Then we get AJ Styles, and then we get the Bobby Lashley uh, pod, but he's not coming out. And then Brock Lesnar's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm tired of this crap. Let's go do this. So he busts out of his own pod. He climbs through the plexiglass, and I'm going to get back to this in a minute, but he climbs through the plexiglass, and in the course of 70 seconds, 70, less than a minute and a half, he eliminates three people in the order of, oh my goodness, Seth, R- Seth Rollins at 9 minutes and 50 seconds. He then destroys Riddle, 15 seconds later, and then AJ Styles, 45 seconds later after that. And then we get to the decimation of one young Austin Theory. The death of Austin Theory that happened on February 19th, 2022, will go down in WWE history as one of the most devastating uh, burials of an individual that you will ever see as Brock Lesnar as Austin Theory is trying to desperately run away and crawl through the chain that he can fit through at the top of the elimination chamber, Brock Lesnar lion jumps in a span of two seconds to catch Austin Theory and then take him to the top of an elimination chamber pod and then proceed to F5 him to death off the pod, take him over, pin him, and become the new WWE heavyweight champion. This was a fantastic creation of the monster Brock Lesnar as he mows through everybody through this match. The one drawback is, is after a match like this, you are going to have to redesign the Elimination Chamber (laughs) because those pogs are bullshit. You cannot have a devastating uh, contraption of doom in which the plexiglass looks like the weakest thing in the whole thing. Make them fences, steel, whatever, chain link. I don't know, but after Otis last year and the amount of pogs that were destroyed this year, I don't want one last year, two this year, and then three pogs getting destroyed next year. Let's figure this out, bring it back, center it a little bit, but for what it was this year, man, that was a lot of fun. This was outstanding Brock Lesnar is my favorite wrestler in WWE today. This was a sprint of devastation and I loved it. Austin Theory being Brock's last victim was everything. The chase around the chamber as Austin realized I'm fucked. I'm done for. He's running around. He low bro- he low blows Brock at one point and he has a millisecond of hope but it doesn't last long. And Brock Lesnar is not, what, 24 years old. He is 40-something years old. This dude leaped up to climb to catch Austin Theory on the chain of the chamber to get him on the pod and deliver an F5 that made me holler. This was just spectacular. Austin Theory 
became a legend this particular day. And Brock pins him to win the WWE Championship. And he will now face Roman Reigns, champion versus champion, winner takes all at WrestleMania, universal title versus the WWE title. It's on. I don't care at this point about pushback. It's the biggest match possible. We have shown that Roman and Brock are ticket movers. There are rating draws for WWE. I don't care about the Twitter noise. People buy tickets to see them confront each other. It's a draw. This is the one time in seven years and six attempts this match will be over at WrestleMania in all likelihood. And I am all here for it. I did laugh uproariously when Brock won and it felt like he had a moment that he maybe turned himself on after winning the WWE championship. (laughs) He got a heart on, not going to lie. He was adjusting. He shook. He took selfies. He was very happy to be WWE champion. And for that Brock Lesnar, good for you, sir, that you had to quote Paul Heyman once again, a spiritual orgasm winning your 10th WWE championship. Scott, what are your thoughts on the one man show known as Brock Lesnar? Well, I guess I'm going to be that guy because I was not a fan of this match, man. I I, I guess I'm going to be the one because I, I didn't – man, what – I don't like – I'm not a fan of what they did with that, man. Brock didn't need that. Brock didn't – Brock doesn't need anything. Brock, Brock doesn't need any type of boost. Brock doesn't need any type of extra push. You, you saw what that man did when he when he felt like it. He ran up the cage like he was a freaking spider monkey. So he doesn't <laughs> need anything. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. I just don't understand why this had to happen like this. Why couldn't that be what happened to Brock or something like that? Like I just oh, I the succession at which he was running through people and they weren't getting any offense and then can we talk about how does Brock Lesnar get the last spot how does Brock Lesnar of all the people (laughs) get the sixth spot not the champ who gets screwed over in the first place but Brock he gets the sixth spot and he was the last guy to be added what in the world is going on so you know I don't like that they do that with Seth Rollins he's somebody I think that should be better now Everything you both said about what he, him in theory, I thought that was fantastic. I loved all of that. I would have preferred if Austin Theory would have got a low blow on Brock during Raw. And I, I think that would have maybe added a, been a little bit of storytelling, something that's kind of lost every now and then with WWE. But, you know, a low blow there and him getting out the ring, maybe even taking a selfie, I think that would have been a nice call back and then you could do this spot here with the low blow you're like "Uh oh he might have a shot because as we've seen the low blow is one of the most effective things to do against Brock Seth Rollins did it Undertaker did it all the good guys do it so why wouldn't the bad guys do it um he's apparently his balls are incredibly weak but he gets an incredibly great erection when he wins titles so that's that's a (laughs) there's a weird correlation there um maybe one one had to do with the other maybe maybe that's exactly maybe that's it might be a good call um but yeah I I wasn't a fan of this match I just don't think Brock needed to dominate everyone like that like AJ Styles was just a guy, you know, Riddle was just a guy, 
Rollins was just a guy. Rollins shouldn't just be a guy, man. And I I don't like that Brock makes everybody just the guys in the ring with. Let them have some flurry against you. Let it, it just give me a little bit of drama, but this dude was just a lawnmower and everybody was a piece of grass. So there's that. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a couple of things to that. Uh, it's probably going to bum you out when I tell you that Brock Lesnar won every main event in 2022 of the premium live events in the WWE shows. And uh, the other one will be that the women's elimination chamber held the record for the shortest elimination chamber for a total of two hours because the men's chamber, Brock ran through everybody in the match ended in 14 minutes and 55 seconds. Damn. He really ran through everybody. And it's just a clean, a, a clean sweep. Brock, Brock, Brock and Brock. Poor Bobby did not make the cut, but at least he's protected for at least four months for now. But, you know, normally I would hate this, but this Brock Lesnar in his truest form, ponytail, Cowboy loving Brock Lesnar. This dude is just operating on a different level on the mic and in the ring and this sprint. I might not have loved it maybe five years ago, but now in 2022, I loved it. And normally I would be against this kind of stuff. But as I mentioned, the one match the WWE has that might not get outright rejected this year is Roman and Brock title for title is a necessary Brock maybe should not have won the Warrior Rumble because he's going to get the shot anyway. It's apples to apples at this point. I just, you know, it's WWE booking, but it's the draw. It's a ticket seller. It's going to be great, I presume. And now we get back to the true drama of Paul Heyman being a side piece over both men as he's been very steadfast in his love and devotion to Roman Reigns. Let's wait until Brock appears on SmackDown to see how Paul Heyman's tune changes in the weeks to come. And I'm hoping that Seth and AJ Styles have great fallbacks heading into WrestleMania, AJ hopefully being paired off against Edge. And in my dream scenario... WWE Defender, Flag Bearer, Seth Rollins versus the Prodigal Son, Cody Rhodes. That would be the WrestleMania match for me if it does come to pass. Well, it'll be better than what we just saw tonight. So I'll, I'll, I'll take that. At least, he, at least he'll get a little bit of offense in on Cody. Yes, before Cody dashes his dreams. Yeah, because he's going to lose we- then too. You know, I 100% expect Cody to walk on a WWE television with a mustache. Oh, my God. He's going to grow it back that fast. (laughs) Oh, man. Listen. Been a couple weeks since we've seen him. It has. Can he grow back a mustache that fast? It could happen. Let's give him like the middle of March to see if he can pull it off. But I think it could be Seth. And Cody at WrestleMania, I honestly could see that happening based on the history from the last three years via this war between WWE and AEW coming full circle. As we put a bow on this Elimination Chamber premium live event. So if we had to grade this show on a scale to A to F, Scott, what is your final letter grade for this year's Elimination Chamber pay-per-view? Or shall I say premium live event? I'm going to give the elimination plea a B. Solid B. Solid B. All right, Jeremy, your final grade for Elimination Chamber. You know, 
I was going to go B plus because of the uh, match that didn't happen, but I'm going to go with A minus because they were brisk with the timing and pacing of that show. I got to go B. I got to go fair B. It was a good show. I love the pacing. That was an easy breezy two and 52 hour 50 minute show to get through. I really appreciated it before three o'clock. It was over. Let's do that stateside for WrestleMania. Can we get out of here before midnight in a couple in about six weeks time? I don't know if they pull it off, but we'll shall see. But I enjoyed the show. My first ever Saudi show experience in totality. It was better than I thought it would be. And I'm very happy that the ladies for the first time ever took off those goddamn t-shirts and were able to wear cat, cat suits at the minimum with their own flair and style minus Charlotte Flair, who had no flair or style in her cat suit minus her robe. But hey, progress. We're making baby steps into something of some semblance of equality, some big steps made via this show. Let it continue for future premium live events in that side of the world as we make that quick transition to another show that went down days before elimination chamber in the form of nxt vengeance day going down on sci-fi for reasons i don't get we could have did this show this week to a bigger audience but they decided hell valentine's day was on monday let's keep the theme going on tuesday and i thought this is probably the best nxt 2.0 special quarterly event to date i thought every match was ranging from good to excellent and i really enjoyed the quality of this show top to bottom outside of some segments that worked my nerves a bit but let's start from the very tippy top of tony d'angelo versus pete dunn in a weaponized steel cage match scott what are your thoughts on this particular matchup which kicked off nxt vengeance day I think uh, Tony D'Angelo has been very impressive. I thought this match was really good. Uh, the crowd was very into it. Pete Dunne, he's fantastic in the ring. He He's somebody you can always count on. I, I've been really impressed with Tony D'Angelo, and he's actually somebody who's got a, a character that would you know kind of translate, and they'll, they'll fine tweak it and, and rough out the edges. But I, I think Tony D'Angelo is really somebody else that um, to keep an eye on from this 2.0 group, uh, I, this, this match was really good, and I, I think he's shown that he's more than capable of holding his own in the ring. So I, I'm excited to see what comes next for Tony D. Me too. He's really impressive in this match. And this is maybe his ninth match in life in WWE. And he was really impressive. And this is not just a one-man show of Pete Dunne carrying a green guy. Tony D's putting in that work in the ring behind the scenes. And you see it via his work rate improving rapidly. And just knowing what he's doing out there. He's not scared. He's very confident. Has great charisma. And a mobster gimmick can be incredibly one-dimensional. But he makes it 3D via his charisma which is going to be a big gift for him on the main roster someday. So I'm very impressed by Tony D'Angelo. He's got a very bright future in WWE and easily a bright spot on 2.0 thus far. Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this opening match to Vengeance Day? You know, Pete Dunne does Pete Dunne things, and he can do Pete Dunne things in his sleep, and I'm going to give credit to Tony D'Angelo. He did his part in this match. The one thing I will say about Tony D'Angelo is I think he has a lot of potential. Uh, he is able to do these matches that have a lot of smoke and mirrors and a lot of uh, gimmicks within them, the war game of this match, a couple of the other matches that he's had. And when he is able to, and I believe that he will be at some point able to do a 10-minute match that is just a 
pure wrestling match with the moves and the psychology and the endurance. Uh, I just I want to see that, and I hope he is able to reach that potential sooner rather than later. For sure. And the one thing he's got in his favor is that dude can deliver one hell of a suplex. This guy is really mm-hmm. good at throwing people around, and that might be his calling card as a guy that can really stand out. That technique is everything, and Pete Dunne is a great seller, but Tony D's technique throwing people around is pretty damn good for his level of experience. Next up was Persia Parada and Indy Hartwell facing Toxic Attractions, Jesse Jane and Gigi Dolan for the NXT Women's Tag Team titles. This was a fine match. I will say that Persia Parada continues to impress me in the ring. She is a future pillar of the WWE Women's Division. I truly believe that she's going to be a force to be reckoned with someday. I will say that when the closing minutes of this match took place, I thought that Persia and Jesse did not work well together at all. Their scrap, their fight, their brawl, whatever the hell it was, was not very good. And it really took down the match quality just a touch. But on the whole, I thought this was a pretty good title match, which did not feature a title change here as expected as we kick off the Women's Dusty Cup next Tuesday. So, Jeremy, what are your quick take thoughts on this NXT Women's Tag Team title match? This is probably my least favorite match on the show, but it it delivered the it delivered the impact that it needed to do in showing Persia Parada and the and her potential in the future. Indy Hartwell, I think, is kind of where she's going to be at for a while, and then Toxic Attraction is uh, growing as an act, and the presentation of them is really really strong. The one thing that I will say that is kind of bothering me about NXT and Persia Parada is that I am not a huge fan of this negging angle that she's got with Duke Hudson, where he is constantly negative reinforcing all the things around her when she's kind of looking for his approval. That whole behavior in in the world is something that I don't like. And when I see it on TV, like it's just it's not something I want to see and they can do better, but this is what they're going with. And I hope they just kind of move away from it soon enough. Me too. If he's not that into you, don't pursue it, girl. Just move on to the next. And that's my advice with all relationships on 2.0. But here we are. Another love quadrangle that I'm not looking forward to. And as you mentioned with Indy Hartwell, she does poke fun at herself for being very green. But at some point, you do want to improve in this system. And she's a great character. She's great with Dexter. Or Loomis, but in the ring, it's still very, very green. And Persia is going to clip her in terms of experience very soon if she does not get on the same page in terms of what she can do in the ring on the regular. So, Scott, what are your takes on this NXT Women's cha- Championship match? I thought the match was fine. Um, I like Gigi. I think she's got a great presence to her. I think she kind of really carries that team um, as far as the toxic attraction goes. I, I really feel like just her presence, if she wasn't the tag partner to JC, I'd have, I just don't think it works. She brings a lot to that team. And you, I mean, she stands out the entire match. Um, she's got a little extra aggression to her when she does her moves. So I, I like Gigi. I think Indy Hartwell could potentially be one of the bigger baby faces on the women's division. I I think she has that type of potential, especially since I see Parada eventually, you know, just destroying her. Like I, I, like I, Jeremy, I think that's a great call as far as, you know, Duke Hudson, you know, reinforcing all the negatives into her. And I think that's going to get to her and she's going to destroy Indy Hartwell. And I think Indy Hartwell is going to really kind of get over as a, just as a sympathetic baby face. Um, So I, and I, I think she, she's, 
got a good move set. I do agree that she does still need to work on some things, but I like her move set. Her springboard elbow drop is really pretty. Um, so I, I, I think she could be a, a, a nice plucky baby face and, you know, standing beside Parada, I think we forget she's, She's got good size on her. She's bigger than most of the women on the division, so it's it's gonna be kind of hard for her to be that babyface. But Parada would be a good opponent for her to do that uh, with. But I think Parada is gonna be the one that could end up being a, a bigger deal on the main roster. For sure, she's got something special when she gets more experience in the ring. As you transition to probably the best in-ring match of the night for the North American Championship, it was Carmelo Hayes versus Cameron Grimes, and I really enjoyed this match. Trick Williams is my MVP with the facial expressions at ringside, taking that deep breath, holding his heart after every near fall during this matchup. Really great high-flying action from both men. So, Scott, what are your takes on this North American Championship match between Grimes and Carmelo Hayes. To quote the A champion, Carmelo don't Melo don't miss. <laughs> I mean, that dude legit has every time he's been put in, you know, put into a big match, he's knocked it out the park. Um, Cameron Grimes is one of the best baby faces in the game right now. He's got a he has a great natural story that the crowd has been a part of this journey. He's and his and I like what he has done with his character. He's still got a little goofiness to him, but there is that seriousness that he's been carrying with himself. Like, yo, I'm I'm kind of I'm that dude though. Like, he's carrying himself like he knows how good he is, and he's a he's a beast. But Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, that's that's a money act, and that partly scares me because every time NXT and WWE have a money act. They seem to get rid of them. Um, so I, I I really hope that since this is 2.0 and not Triple H's vision, that we're going to keep these two because this is this is a great act. Um, and I, I think Carmelo Hayes is going to be, I think that's somebody that WWE is going to keep. I mean, WWE is in better shape than people give them credit for with some of the younger talent that they have right now. It's, I mean, it's obviously what they end up doing with them, but They've got they've got the horses, man. They've got the horses to run the race. They just they got to do right by him. And Carmelo Hayes is somebody that they really have to do right by because he does not miss and he's got a great presence to him. Absolutely. And he has been anointed by the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. If you notice the heartbreak pad (laughs) that he wore, that's a heartbreak kid thing. Shawn Michaels is a big fan of Carmelo Hayes. And when you have the HBK seal of approval, you have very bright things in your future. And as Scott mentioned, like despite it being very overwhelming sometimes with all the uh, with all the fresh faces and the greenness that can be on the show, sometimes you do see heavy hitters like Carmelo like Tony D'Angelo, like Braun Breaker breaking through in a big way that speaks well to WWE's future because this is it. This is your reinvention of what you want your stars to be and if it's not this, then what is it at this point? But I really enjoyed this match trick. I love him. He's so great and hopefully they stay together for a very long time. Carmelo and Trick are a great duo and Trick abs on site all day shirt open at all times let me show off what I'm great at besides talking and that is having a very nice physique so Jeremy what are your thoughts on Cameron Grimes versus Carmelo Hayes for the North American title 
Yeah, so this was the best match of the show by far, I thought. And it's really frustrating when you try and find a guy like Carmelo Hayes and you're trying to find some type of flaw in this dude's game and he doesn't really have any. Like he's just he's just so good. The swagger, the physique, the look, the gimmick, the the I belong here and I know it kind of mentality. Uh, he knows he's a star. I think the company knows he's a star. And more to the point of what Scott was saying about WWE being in better shape than people realize, I don't ever really think it's the talent that is in question. It is the talent it's the talent valuation at the top. It's the people able to identify what we as fans see as the future and the people that are really going to go far. And it's so abundantly obvious to all of us. And yet they seem to have a ability to uh, be blind to the target, if you will. So the one thing that I did, I did kind of get a little bummed about is that it does feel like Cam and Grime is kind of like being left in the dust as other people are being elevated around him. And I love Cameron Grimes, but the right guy won and Carmelo Hayes is the stratospheric rise to the top continues. Yeah, I think that Grimes has outgrown NXT 2.0 at this point. I think he needs to get called up to the main roster post-WrestleMania. He could add great value to Raw or SmackDown at this point. The ceiling has been hit on this show. He's got the charisma. He's got the talent to really get over with a bigger audience. And he does not need any more developing on this show. He's a seasoned vet at this point. Let him graduate to the main roster and be a true difference maker in the IC and U.S. title scenes. As we transition to the finals of the 2022 Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic on the men's side, it was the Creed Brothers versus MSK. I thought this was a really fun match. Once again, the Creed Brothers showed up and showed out in a big way. And I really enjoyed this match. MSK are always great with the Creed Brothers. I keep mentioning this. They are going to be a standout tag team for years to come. Another group on the rise via Diamond Mine. Malcolm Bivens has a winner on his hands via the Creed Brothers. And I just love everything about this crew. This match was really strong. A nice capper to the Dusty. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on this matchup to cap off the Dusty Cup part one for the men? I thought it was good. I was a little underwhelmed, but that might be me just having really high expectations because I I think the Creed brothers are really good, and I think there's a ton of potential there with those two. Um, MSK, I I think they're fantastic. I think MSK is fantastic, and I'm surprised that they don't get more love when we talk about just some of the more exciting and and better teams in the game right now. Like And Nash Carter, I thought... He stood out in particular. I, I thought he had a really good showing. Um, he showed real good fire. I thought he was just his moves were crisp. He was he looked real good out there. Um, Julius is the guy I think for the Creed brothers. I, I think ju- there's something about Julius when he's in the ring. I can't take my eyes off him. He seems like the captain of the group. Brutus is the hoss, but it seems like Julius is the guy that kind of keeps that engine rolling. Good match. I you know it doesn't it doesn't hold up when you compare it to some of the past you know Dusty Cup finals. You know especially. Um, 
if you go back and you know we talked about Ricochet and and Alistair Black teaming up I think it was last week or so uh, it doesn't you know compare with a match like that but it's it's a good match and it was fine for I guess it was fine for sci-fi especially but you know it was it was it was okay I I I just guess I wanted more out of the Creed brothers, and I thought MSK could have brought it out. I wonder what's next from MSK. Hopefully, it's the main roster because I think they could bring a lot of life to some lifeless divisions, in particular the SmackDown one. It needs Jesus, and the sooner they get there, the better. They are definitely ready for the main roster. And Creed's, they will move on to face Imperium for a shot at the NXT Tag Team titles. That should be a lot of fun. And another, you're going to learn today, Creed Brothers, how to work against a superior tag team in Imperium. But they will deliver the goods. I wanted this match six months later. We get it about maybe two months earlier ahead of schedule. But hey, it is what it is. So, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on MSK versus the Creed Brothers in the finals of the 2022 Dusty Cup? Got to give credit first to Malcolm Bivens coming out with that towel, the never give up towel. Oh, it was great. Turn around. Nah, you should. should. <laughs> you should. And, and they really should have. Um, I think the Creed brothers have a lot of potential. And I am very, very thankful that they were able to develop and timing-wise were able to kind of have this debutante uh, reveal at the Dusty Cup because they have been a bit of a revelation. I can see why Scott isn't as excited about them or might want to focus on Julius more than Brutus. But I think they... uh, they are stronger as a unit than they would be individually. I've seen some of their uh, physical gifts that they've done on YouTube. And if you haven't seen what these guys can do on YouTube, go find it. Because it is unbelievable the kind of things that they do in joint workouts. Uh they have a lot of potential. I have nothing bad to say about MSK, but this was not the match for MSK. This was the Creed brother spotlight. And if this is what they can do now, I am I am excited for the future. Absolutely. As we transition now to the main event of Vengeance Day featuring the NXT champion Braun Breaker versus Santos Escobar representing Legado de Fantasma. And I've got to say that this was probably my least favorite Braun Breaker match to date. Something about this pacing was really off. The chin lock extended by Santos did not do much for me. I did not like some of the punches that Breaker gave in the corner as well. It felt like I'm seeing some greenness, which is normal for a 24-year rookie in the game that has exceeded every expectation, but that does show there is still work to be done, and that's why he's the the NXT champion, I should say, as a guy that can run the show for about a year to gain that experience to really come into his own as a fully realized main eventer on the main roster. But there were some spots there here and there that I was not a big fan of due to the pacing, the layout and some of the spots not looking as crisp as they should. So Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this title match, which was never really in doubt regarding the outcome? This match suffered from the interview segment last week with Tomasa Ciampa and Dolph Ziggler because it became abundantly clear that everyone was already looking past Santos Escobar, Escobar as they actually referenced that in the interview segment. It was a purely by-the-numbers match. It almost felt as if this was the kind of thing where the people at NXT were going down the checklist of things that they really wanted to make sure that Braun Breaker had under his belt and the type of matches 
that he had under his belt before he moves on to the next thing. And it felt almost more academic than it did a match that we should be excited for and or really wanting to see. Uh was it bad? No, it wasn't bad. Was it good? It wasn't great, but it was there. And for the people playing their parts, Santos Escobar and Legado del Fantasma, like they know what they're doing and they are they are a roster ready act wherever they go. But this was to develop Braun Breaker, to continue to cement the feuds that he has going forward with Dolph Ziggler and Tomasa Ciampa and that whole thing going into the next round of uh, matches that they have. And for that, as a stepping stone it's fine i have no complaints about that whatsoever it was all right it was an all right championship match it was all right for what it was and the true story at this point is really Dolph Ziggler being the guy going after Braun Breaker next after he goes through Tomasa Ciampa as he did make a cameo by super kicking Breaker behind the referee's back and that was a nice super kick bump by Breaker by the way and I cannot wait to see Ziggler versus Ciampa Ciampa's gonna really give it to Ziggler and Ziggler might have his best WWE performance in five years on Tuesday via his match against Ciampa. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on the main event of Vengeance Day featuring Santos Escobar versus Braun Breaker for the NXT Championship? I think they need to be very careful what they start doing with Braun Breaker. Um, And, you know, we can maybe chalk this one up to Santos Escobar and just the group being very popular with that crowd. But I, I think we're starting to see signs of uh, the the Daniel Bryan quote coming to life. The the fickleness of the crowd is I, you hear the boos a little bit. You hear the 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 split chance for a clear heel, a clear heel. There's there's no question about how how uh, Santos has been this entire time. So. Uh, you know, there's there's something to that they need to be very careful with with Braun Breaker because you know I, I think everyone realizes how special he is. We don't want to turn the fans on him before he even gets a chance to debut on the main roster. Uh, that said, the match was the match was good. It was you know it was, it was a good main event. Braun Breaker is you know I, you know this guy. I don't even think he's had double digit matches, and if he has, he definitely hasn't hit twenty. So uh, I, you know, I think he's for what he's he's asked to do. Santos Escobar isn't the guy to create the movement that Braun Breaker needs. That's not what Santos Escobar does. You know, like hit the headlock game. He's the one who slows the pace down. And Braun's got some power moves, but he's only got a few. He's got a few explosive moves and then he goes home you need a Champa's got this constant movement he's constantly moving he's running the ropes he's doing this he's doing that and I think that's what Dolph Ziggler is going to bring for Braun Breaker too because Dolph Ziggler is constantly moving yeah he brings the headlocks in but then he comes back with a drop kick followed by a running clothesline or you know he comes back and Braun Breaker tosses him around and he takes a big bump so I think those are the kind of guys that Braun Breaker really needs to be working with right now so that he doesn't kind of show the greenness and that, you know, where he's not quite sure there. He doesn't quite have the move set. You know, you have guys who create that movement for him. I love Dolph Ziggler in NXT. I'm excited about this. And I actually thought that spot worked really well because of how, of the story they told of Braun Breaker completely looking past Santos. And I, I actually think that was a very, I, I kind of liked that. I thought it was a pretty believable spot as far as uh oh they might mess around and do a quick little title turn here because maybe Braun Breaker is getting caught up sooner than we think you never know 
what's going on with Vince's mind. So um, I like that. It fit the story. Braun Breaker moves on. I'm excited about Dolphin Champa. I think that's going to be a good match. I think, uh, I guess it's leading to Dolphin Braun at WrestleMania, which should be a good match. And I think that'll be Braun Breaker's best match to date since it's going to be on the WrestleMania I guess that's going to be the same day as WrestleMania in the morning. So Dolph Ziggler gets breakfast with the NXT crew. Then he might mess around and have dinner with the big guys. So it could be a long night for Dolph Ziggler. So I got a hypothetical for you both on this one. Um, What is a bigger match for you for Braun Breaker? Would it be Braun Breaker versus Dolph Ziggler? Or would it be Braun Breaker versus Gunther? And which one would you rather have on NFT on WrestleMania weekend? I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to say Braun Breaker Ziggler only because I don't think I don't think Gunther should be losing right now. And Braun Breaker shouldn't be losing right now. I think whenever they do face, I think Gunther is going to be the guy to take the title from Braun when Braun goes up to the main roster. Hmm. Okay. I legitimately don't know what the right answer is. It could be either or, but for WrestleMania this time around, I would say that the bigger match would be Braun Breaker and Dolph Ziggler. And then if they run another takeover adjacent event, there is SummerSlam in July in Nashville, run a show in Nashville at an arena, maybe that matinee the same day as SummerSlam and have Breaker versus Gunther there and maybe Gunther wins the NXT title. It will be about eight months with Breaker as champion by then. So maybe perhaps that's when you pull the trigger on a title change. But for right now, I'm really curious to see how much tickets they're going to sell to the American Airlines Arena for a takeover adjacent show with this NXT 2.0 crew. Mm. That is going to be a big test. This is not NXT black and gold when you can sell out the house a couple of years ago. This is a completely different show. And I do want to see the enthusiasm in in terms of the fan base that still exists for this particular brand that's gone through so much change over the last year or so. I, s- I wonder if they uh, wait until the Great American Bash instead. Perhaps. I don't doubt it. That could be maybe the takeover Jason show on the road this year. Interesting. Okay, cool. I say that, though, and then Braun Breaker and Gunther are going to have a face-to-face, and I'm going to be like, okay, all right. I, <laughs> you, you got me. I, I'm in. I, you got me. I, I'm sold. I, they're both going to be great. It does seem like the wind is blowing toward WrestleMania and Ziggler. But there's a part of me that's just like, give me that match. That match seems very, very big for the the ecosphere that it occupies. So you bring the match up. So who who goes over? In Gunther and Braun. Yeah, Gunther Braun. Gunther. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Uh, Braun's been there. He's established. They're moving him forward. Gunther, like... As much as Braun Breaker looks like the part of a of a Steiner just running the show in NXT, Gunther looks like a monster. Like the the physique that he has gotten himself in, and the the cadence and the way that he carries himself is like that is the guy that is that is the true final boss of NXT right now. I could see it. Definitely in a few months time as to where we will be with Gunther as the face of NXT to Parnell and I would all be here for a Gunther to main roster jump and I'm still an advocate of Imperium versus the bloodline at some point. 
in the 2022s heading into the end of this year in a perfect world. That would be money. Gunther versus Roman Reigns. My Lord, what a matchup that would be. As we wrap up two very entertaining WWE shows this week. No complaints here. It's very weird to have back-to-back shows that are good by WWE standards. Gives me that old takeover WWE pay-per-view vibes of five years ago when those shows ran back-to-back nights. As we wrap up the wrap with some quick guilty pleasures and avoided our cost picks of the week. So, Jeremy, what are the things that you loved about WWE this week? and the one thing that you hated with every fiber of your being. The guilty pleasure will be the deep cut of the uh, 24-7 skit with uh, Dana Brooke and what's his face? I'm sorry, I completely forgot his name. Uh, But him getting friend-zoned and then turning around and winning the 24-7 because he got friend-zoned was dynamic television i loved it as for the avoided all cost i watched smackdown last night there were three matches there was a title change but it was the most nothing show and i and i wish i could have gotten that sleep back damn understandable that was basically a skippable phone-in show ahead of elimination chamber i totally get it scott what are your guilty pleasures and the one thing that we should avoid at all costs this week Oh boy. So, you know, anytime, uh, anytime Brooks and Dunn and Casey and Jojo get on the uh, screen together, that's a, <laughs> that's an automatic miss for me. So you can go ahead and skip that single this week. And then, uh, my guilty pleasure. And I, it's, I, I, I really enjoyed the outside of the Brooks and Dunn and Casey and Jojo. I really enjoyed the NXT show this week. I, I thought it was a really good show. It's a shame it was on sci-fi. Um, I probably shouldn't have enjoyed it, but I enjoyed the Raquel Gonzalez and Cora Jade video together. I I don't know why. There's a they seem to have a, a chemistry there that just kind of works for them. Cora Jade is very likable. I, I don't know what it is, but she's very likable in that role. Um, like it it just it worked for me. I, I got a kick out of it. That was. Funny. I have to apologize real quick, Reggie. I'm so sorry, Reggie. Your name is so Reggie. sorry, Reggie. <laughs> you got to have respect for these no guys. Doubt. They're, they're doing no work. doubt. Like we got to remember their names. And I felt I felt horrible as soon as I blanked it. I'm like, I got to get that in there. <laughs> Reggie, Jeremy forgot your name. He apologizes in advance, and because of that, Reggie is going to flip over Jeremy and beat his ass, and then keep his championship because that's what that's what Jeremy deserves. Sorry, Reggie, about that. Um, That's what winners do. do. And I've got to go with Jeremy with my guilty pleasure. It was the friend zone scene between Reggie and Dana Brooke. But the shout out goes to the referee that was in mid chase grabbing a bite to eat saying, "Mm, need this for the road. Mm, Pocket this food here. I love the cleverness of that. And Dana Brooke, she lost her championship and she had to pay the dinner bill double insert injury on Valentine's Day and my avoided all costs Brooks and Dunn once again the whole bar scene it gave me bad Shits Creek vibes just uh, at least Fallon Henley she did good she was very nice in this segment as Torla otherwise throw it all away and nothing 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 will top quite honestly Nikita Lyons being a ninja, a singer, a rapper, a, d- a dancer, a choreographer, a songwriter, 
a seamstress, a street fighter. Like she has 20,000 occupations. Oh, she learned all that from her, okay. from her groupie mommy. Okay. Her groupie mommy taught her that because okay. that's her claim that, to fame too. That, that whole thing where my mom was a groupie. A beautiful like, groupie. groupie. What? A beautiful groupie. Not just any ordinary groupie. She was beautiful. Hey, was she coming and next she, week? We're going to see what she... Hey, I'm going to tell you what she better do and she better deliver in the ring next week because they've been, they've been hyping her up a lot and they've been doing a lot yeah, for her. Yeah, now, I know you yeah. believe. I know you believe. Um, I, I, I hope your belief is rewarded, Scott. I really do. I like the last now, one. I, w- <laughs> I like the last one. This one wasn't bad either, but that first one was god awful. And I was like, oh, she's done. Ooh, ooh. She's done. <laughs> now, I will say that I saw some clips on 205 Live. She's got something. She's got something in the ring in terms of whooping ass. We'll see how it comes into reality. Because remember, NXT 2.0 is live. 205 Live is taped. And they can edit shit around. Around, but this is going to be a full Nikita Lyons presentation and we better get full choreography with backup dancers and her rapping to the ring more so than Ollie J. I'm going I, to live for that because you got to hear the Lions war. The only thing I will say about Nikita Lyons is I will be very curious one day to find out exactly how many, what the ratio of men versus women workshopped her character. Oh man, I bet it's all men. Probably. Yes. Old men at that who are stuck in the 1980s. She That workshopping seemed flawed. She about to come Very out flawed. with a dance routine like Sonny Kiss. Hey, if Sonny choreographs it, I'm all for it. Like, get some rhythm in there. Like, please. Maybe Cody Cat's hookup. Like, Sonny, you could be the best damn choreographer in WWE <laughs> for all WrestleMania <laughs> events. I swear. You would get, like, Paid being the official choreographer for WrestleMania. Get that bag, Sonny. Get the bag. But with that, this wraps up a very fun episode of The Wrap covering both the Elimination Chamber, PLE, and NXT Vengeance Day. As always, I want to thank Scott and Jeremy for joining me per the usual. Yeah, this is great. Um, we didn't even bash Von Wagner, so that's always a plus. Big Daddy V. I don't even know if he was on the show. So, uh, again, Got over more by not being around. Great job, Vaughn. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. A pleasure as always. All right. So we'll be back next week with a brand new wrap and dropping on the Patreon. Next week will be our retro throwback show of NXT Rival from February 2015, which is quite the show to look back on. We can't wait to talk about it very soon. And we'll be back next week with more fallout from what the hell is going on with Cody Rhodes to WWE. Possibly will he debut on Monday Night Raw? We shall see about all of that as we recap it right here on The Wrap for Jeremy and Scott. This is Keela saying this is a wrap for the wrap. <laughs>